Welcome to Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, a podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. I'm your host, Olivia, and every week I will share with you a different weird animal fact. Before we get to this week's episode, I have a slight correction from last week's episode talking about nudibranchs. I didn't really explain the nudibranch clades very well, and I wanted to give a quick clarification. I said that a clade does not have a genetic component, but I was thinking of a polyphyletic group. A clade does have a common ancestor, so there is a genetic component to the grouping of these classifications, whereas a polyphyletic group does not have a common ancestor, so that one is just based on common characteristics that we are observing, and we're just lumping the organisms together based on those characteristics. So with that, on to this week. For this week, we will be talking about the longest butterfly migration out there, a migration that's comparable to many bird migrations. I was really happy I put this on the calendar when I did because forgetting that I put it on the calendar now, I was thinking that this would be a great time of year to talk about this migration since it's happening right now. It's really just getting started. So we will be talking about the migration of the monarch butterfly. So especially at this point in time, I think most of my listeners are primarily in the United States, so you've probably seen monarch butterflies and are at least a little familiar with them, but I will give an introduction to them just in case and for maybe future. Monarch butterflies are a part of order Lepidoptera along with other butterflies and moths. It is a decently sized, pretty big butterfly with a wingspan of around 4 inches or around 10 centimeters with orange wings and black veins, so this almost gives the wings a kind of a stained glass appearance. Monarch butterflies are interesting for a variety of reasons. Other than the migration, one of them is that they only lay eggs on milkweed plants. Milkweeds are toxic, so when their caterpillars eat the milkweed, they too become toxic. This has led to some butterflies evolving to mimic monarch butterflies as a defensive mechanism, One common one being the Viceroy butterfly. There are a couple of ways you can tell the difference. One being size, the Viceroy is a bit smaller and it also has a bar along the hind wings and some some of the veining on the hind wings. A second way is flight patterns. Monarch butterflies have a kind of lazy flight pattern and they float between some of the wing beats, whereas a Viceroy butterfly has more rapid wing beats. So the thing that makes monarch butterflies particularly noteworthy though, and what we are here to talk about, is their large migration, especially of the butterflies along the east coast of North America. They travel about 3,000 miles to Mexico, and each year it is a new generation of butterflies that makes the migration. So unlike birds and whales that also have thousands of miles to migrate every year, these birds have the previous generation to teach them the migration route. But monarch butterflies are traveling entirely based on instinct. Most of my notes on the monarch migration comes from the monarch lab at the University of Minnesota. I'll put a link to their website in the show description so you can check it out. They have information on really anything you could want to know on monarch butterflies and a lot of information about their migration. They have an interactive map to show the different stages of the migration through the seasons. And if you want to know how to help monarch butterflies, they give some really nice resources about what you can plant in the area 
and some really good pro butterfly pro pollinator management tips. Be sure to check it out. In getting to the migration, we'll start off with their life cycle. The adult monarch butterfly will lay their eggs on a milkweed plant. Over the course of two to five weeks, a female monarch butterfly can lay between 300 to 500 eggs. The eggs hatch into a caterpillar after three to five days, and then the caterpillar starts munching away. As it eats, it will molt five times, growing about 2,000 times its original hatching size. After about two weeks, the caterpillar will crawl away from the plant to find a safe, sheltered spot to pupate and form a chrysalis. As it is chilling out in chrysalis form, it is undergoing a process to become the adult butterfly, and after about one to two weeks, the caterpillar transforms and emerges as an adult monarch butterfly, and then the process starts all over again. Adults in the summer generations live for about two to five weeks, and there are successive generations over the course of the summer. The adults that emerge in the late summer, early fall time period, however, are the butterflies that will make the grand migration south to overwintering areas, and these butterflies will actually live up to nine months. There are a few things that trigger the changes in monarch butterflies to signal the beginning of the migratory generation. The days get shorter as we get into fall, the temperatures start going down, and the milkweed and various nectar sources are aging and depleting. The butterflies that emerge ready for migration will go into reproductive diapause, and this means that their body stops the reproductive processes and they do not reproduce or lay any more eggs. Once this generation is born and the environment has triggered the changes that monarch butterflies undergo to prepare them for migration, the flight begins. Migration to Mexico starts in late summer, so right around this September time frame. They will fly between 50 to 100 miles in a day, and as they fly, they will pause and stop over sites to rest and find some nectar. But in some cases, where they have to fly over expanses of water, they'll gather on a peninsula as they figure out the shortest flight route, and then they'll wait for the right breeze to help them travel over. And there are actually some days when I've been out on the boat for my job, like six to seven miles offshore, in in and around some of the islands around the coastal area where I am, we'll actually be seeing monarch butterflies flying over the water, and it seems like a really out of place for them to be. But it's migration time! So all East Coast butterflies will funnel into Mexico through central Texas via one of several flight routes and travel and arrive into their overwintering sites around November and they roost in the tops of oyamel fir trees in the mountains of central Mexico. The climate in these forests is perfect for them to conserve energy, as they're not going to be feeding on nectar during this time period. The temperatures in the treetops are cooler, they, there is plenty of humidity to keep them from drying out, and the trees in the tree canopies shade them from the sun as well. Around March, they will begin to make the journey back to their northern summer breeding grounds. However, the butterflies that made the journey down will not be the same butterflies that complete the journey back north. In the spring, these overwintering butterflies will complete their development and become reproductive again, starting to lay eggs about as they reach Texas. 
The first generation after the overwintering migration generation will travel north into the southeastern states and spread into the central latitudes in April through May. The second and third generations will continue the migration north and populate breeding grounds throughout the summer. The fourth generation emerges around late summer, and this will be the generation that will go on to begin the next migration. Monarch butterflies that live in western North America also migrate, as you may have noticed earlier I specified the eastern North American migration, but the western populations don't make the same grand journey to Mexico. Their overwintering sites are in California, west of the Rocky Mountains, roosting in eucalyptus trees, Monterey pines, and Monterey cypresses. Their migration does happen a little bit earlier than the eastern North American population. The western North American monarchs arrive to their overwintering sites around October, and they'll begin their dispersal in mid-February. We don't really know as much about this migration as we do the migration of the eastern North American butterflies, as there hasn't been as much research, but there is still some, we do know there is some amount of interchange between the eastern and western butterfly populations, as the butterflies are flying over the Rocky Mountains. Some of the butterflies in the eastern populations will occasionally go west instead of flying to Mexico, and some of the western butterflies will end up traveling south. So there is some mixing between the populations. The eastern and western populations are not isolated from each other. So remember how I said that they're traveling all this distance with never having flown these paths before? They haven't been able to learn these flight paths from previous generations. So how do they know where they're going and how to get there? There are a few environmental signals that they use to navigate, including the angle of the sun, Earth's magnetic fields, as well as some natural landmarks. The biggest one for them is using the sun. They can observe the angle of the sun and use their internal body clock to know about what time of day it is, and they can use the, uh, those two pieces of information to calculate cardinal directions, and this allows them to maintain roughly a south-southwest flight path. In order to keep them en route, they will use the mountains as a landmark to keep them funneling in the right direction towards the southwest so that they're not flying over the ocean and getting lost out there. Finally, they can detect the Earth's magnetic field. They have sensors in their antennae that can detect the angle of the magnetic field with the Earth. Interestingly, these sensors rely a little bit on shortwave UV light to help with figuring out all of the angles. Their magnetic compass is not quite as reliable as the angle of the sun, so this one is used as more as a support for navigating with the sun, especially on cloudy days when the sun isn't really very visible. To round out this episode, since monarch butterflies have such a big range, conservation efforts are particularly challenging for this butterfly. Not only do they struggle with losses of habitat in the northern extents of their range, they can also face a loss of habitat in their overwintering sites, and these overwintering sites are crucial to their existence. Of course, there's also the expansive use of pesticides in agriculture as well as in people's yards to control what we consider pest insects, and these are also harmful to monarch butterflies as well as other insects like fireflies. And then there's also always climate change. So if you want to learn more about how to help these butterflies, 
check out the Monarch Lab site to learn, and you can really learn all you can possibly imagine about monarch butterflies and see what you can do to help. Thank you for listening to this week's episode, and be sure to tune in to next week's episode. You can find me on Podbean, Amazon Music, and Audible. Share us with a friend or anyone you think you might need some more animal facts in their life. If you have a favorite quirky, creepy, or freaky animal fact, send them in at quirkycreepyfreakypod at gmail.com and it may be featured in a future episode. Audio editing and recording done by me, Olivia Streit. Intro music created by Kaylee Streit. Be sure to check out her YouTube channel for some Celtic cello music. Thank you for listening.